Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Children, you can be released for Children's Church. And as they are making their way out, if you will turn with me this morning to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be beginning in verse 4 this morning. So as you turn there, I just want to give a little bit of background once again, because the background is going to be important specifically for today's message to understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And so when we're opening up this letter to Colossians, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Colossae. Now, this is a church, if you remember, he's never been to. He, he didn't preach there. He didn't plant this church. Rather, he was preaching in a nearby city in Ephesus. He had preached there, and there was a man there named um, Epaphras. Epaphras heard him preaching there and then brought the gospel back to Colossae, where this church was planted. Paul, at the time that he wrote this letter, is in prison. Epaphras had visited him, and as pastors will do, they're talking. They're like, hey, how are things going? at the church. And he goes, well, you know, they're enduring, they're doing well, but they're really facing a lot of tension. There's this side here where the church is existing in a culture where paganism is all around. Like everybody is just worshiping their own God, whatever they want to call that God, however they want to worship. There's just this sense of, well, you can do that however you want. And so there's this temptation in this voice calling the believer out of the church to just follow their own way. But then on the other side, there's also this voice of the religious, uh, of these Jewish religious traditions. And they're like, well, if you want God to really approve of you and to accept you, then you need to do these certain specific things, these rites and rituals, and then God will accept you. And so Paul wrote this letter to call and to challenge the church in Colossae to say it's not one side or the other. See, it's not that we're walking down this road and on one side of the road, one lane is paganism and plurality and whatever God you want to choose. And on the other side of the road is this religious legalism and traditions. And you have to walk that yellow line in the middle. Paul's not saying that. What he's calling them to is to say, the path of following Jesus is a different road altogether. It's a completely different path. And he he lifts Christ up as central over everything. And he's like, fix your eyes on Christ. Don't leave the path that he has established beneath your feet. And he's going to call them again and again to Christ. So I want to paint this mental picture in our mind that we're going to unpack. I want us to imagine that that we're going for a a Sunday stroll, okay? Like, I'm ready for the cooler weather. I pray it comes tomorrow, right? Like, where you can wear a hoodie and be comfortable. I like the mountains, so we're going to have to leave Florida for a little bit. Like, it's autumn. Like, this is my dream, walking along the mountain under this canopy of colorful trees, walking this path. And we're walking this together, but the reality is we are in the presence of Christ. Like he's walking this path with us. And we don't know how long it's going to take. It's not like, hey, are we there yet? Because the reality is we're with Christ. I don't want this to end. Let's keep walking. I don't know what kind of hills or valleys we're going to to walk through. That's okay because we're with Christ. 
And this is what the Apostle Paul is calling us to this morning. And what I want us to see is that he's going to call to those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. He's going to say, stay on the path. Walk in him. And be careful because there's voices outside of this path that are going to call and beckon you and and want you to follow them. and, And don't listen to them. But be captivated by Christ. That's what these verses are going to call us to this morning. So what I want to invite you to do is stand with me. I'm going to pray because we're going to read God's word. And again, the reason why we do this is because it's not in our own understanding. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our hearts to hear and receive the truth from his word. And then I'll read the word over us and then we will continue. So let me pray. Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would quiet our hearts to hear. Lord, whatever we're carrying with us walking in here this morning, Lord, I pray that you would silence it. Whatever awaits for us this week, Lord, quiet our hearts to hear your voice, to walk the path that you have established beneath our feet in Christ. And let us hear your word this morning. And let us be changed and captivated by it. And in Jesus' name, amen. Beginning in verse 4 of Colossians chapter 2. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. So then... Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of this world, rather than Christ For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler in authority. You were also circumcised in him with the circumcision, not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh, but in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Throughout human history, there's been a mystery about God. Something distant, 
unknowable, unapproachable. It, it was known by what was seen that, that there is a, a creator who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who could so intricately create the complexity of the universe in which we live. That, that was obvious, but, but God was distant. Who is he? he? He was inapproachable, unknowable. And for generation after generation after generation, there was a mystery of God. But it's a mystery we now know. That this mystery can be summed up in one word. Jesus. Like it was unfathomable that the eternal, holy God would take on humanity, that he would enter into the world in which he created to save people that he created in his image who were rebelling against him, hated him, and yet God would come and take on humanity, live on the earth, die for their sins. It was unfathomable. But that is the mystery of Christ. This is what Paul is saying in in verses 2 and 3 that precede where we're at in verse 4. Look, I want their hearts. I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want your hearts to be joined together in love so that you may have all the riches, that the riches, the wealth of this complete understanding, to have the knowledge of God's mystery. That's what I want you to have, the knowledge of, of God's mystery. And what is that? Christ, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this is then when we pick up in verse 4, I'm saying this, that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. See, you're on this path walking with Christ. I want you to know that this is the mystery that was hidden, that is now revealed. And I don't want you to be deceived by other voices that might sound reasonable, but are going to cause you to to walk away from that path that he has established beneath you. Don't listen to those lies, to, to those deceitful traditions when we have Christ. There's many voices that sound reasonable. Many voices that when we first hear them, we're like, oh, that kind of makes sense. But are tempting us to abandon Christ. Paul is concerned for he's, these Christians. These, these Christians that, that he's never met, that he hasn't been in person with. He's not walking with them physically in presence on this journey. This is what he's saying in verse 5, for I may be absent in the body. Look, I may not be with you physically as you're walking with God, but I am with you in spirit in verse 5. I'm rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. See, I'm strengthened because, because you're organized. You're not just, it's not just chaos. You are, are following Christ. You are enduring. When it's hard, you're continuing to follow Christ. When you're tempted, you're continuing to follow Christ. And I'm encouraged. And he's like, I may not be with you physically, but I am with you in spirit. So then, Paul's going to say in verse 6, just as you have received Christ Jesus as a Lord. Like, hear these words this morning. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as a Lord, Paul's talking to those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Like, th- this is what Anthony was saying up here, right? Those who have stepped off the throne of their life, who have said, Christ, 
Jesus is the mystery of God. In Him, we approach what is un- unapproachable. In, in Him, we know what, what is unknowable. In Him, what seemed distant has drawn near in Christ. I have received this truth. I have believed it in my heart, and I have confessed it with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. If that's you this morning, then hear these words, because the Apostle Paul is saying, look, if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord... Then it continues in verse 6. Continue to walk in Him. See, if you've confessed with your mouth, if you're here and you're singing these words, yes, He is the Lord of lords. He is holy. He is right. He is just. If you believe this in your heart and you've confessed it with your mouth, now let your feet and your lifestyle walk in the reality of this truth. Walk the path. Follow Christ. Don't abandon it. Don't confess one thing with your mouth and and live another way. Walk in Him. Walk in Him. But what does that mean? Paul's going to give us three illustrations. And to be honest, they're all saying the exact same thing. It's like, it feels like Paul really wants us to understand what he's saying. Because he's like, maybe if you're of this mentality, let me give you this illustration, this illustration, this illustration. But they're all saying the exact same thing. Look at what it says. Be rooted in Jesus. It's as if we're walking on this path, right? We're following Jesus through the woods. And he stops. And he points it to this large live oak standing firm on the side of this mountain. And he's like, see that tree? Be rooted in Christ. And then you look off to the distance, and on the hill, you see a home. And he's like, you see that home built on the side of the mountain? Be built up in him. Build your house on a solid foundation of rock so when the rains come, it doesn't get washed away and crash into the valley. Establish your faith in him. See, think about this for a moment, because I think about when I drive around our neighborhood after a hurricane, what I inevitably see are these large, beautiful trees that have roots, but they've toppled over. Have you seen these? It's like they're gripping the ground. They're holding on. But then the rains come, and and the ground became soft. And though the tree had roots, Our soil in our neighborhood is quite sandy. And so when the rains came and it saturated the ground, the trees fell over. See, your faith are those roots. The question is, what are you allowing your faith and the roots of your life to sink down into? Because we're all choosing something. And, And what this passage is calling us to is to be rooted in Christ, that he is a a solid foundation, that when our roots sink down and the storm comes and the the winds of the hurricane blow, we don't have to worry that the ground is going to give away and we're going to fall over, that he is a steady foundation. When you build a house, build it on a foundation, lay it firm. When you build your life, have it established on 
Christ. This is what came to mind when Anthony was saying, like, Christ is the one who sits on the throne of our life. We build our life on him. Let our faith be established on Christ. Let our roots sink down into Christ. This is what it means to walk in him. This is what it looks like. And in all of this, let it be overflowing with gratitude. With gratitude. We're going to see why in a little bit. But I want us to just consider that attitude of thanksgiving this morning. Like that he is a firm foundation. That when our, when our roots sink down into him, he helps us withstand that he is a worthy foundation for our lives as we walk with him. And, and as we walk, as we walk in him, as we walk this path, as you would in Florida, what do you typically see? We see these signs, right? That say, beware, alligators and snakes. Always. Two things, alligators and snakes. And like, stay on the path. Because if you get off the path, alligators and snakes. Now, some see that sign and they're like, sweet, let's go run and play in the craziness, right? This is what it's warning us of. Be careful. In verse 8, be careful that no one takes you captive. This is a a military term. It's a term that means like plundering a cargo ship. Think pirates being taken captive by something. We're walking this trail, but beware. There are things off this path that are seeking to take you captive. Walk in Christ, walk in him, because there are things outside that are dangerous. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. See, there's two distinct dangers that was facing the church in Colossae, and and I believe also face us together as a church today. Two very similar things. One was this philosophy based on elements of the world. Paul's referencing the pagan culture by using a phrase that, that was widely used for Persian religious text, uh, a magical papyrus, astrological documents, this philosophy of the world, that that paganism is is a word that we think is just for like Bible times, but it's very much alive today. This idea, and if we can go ahead and show the definition of paganism, that I define paganism like this. Paganism is an attempt to control the physical world. This means controlling your bank account, controlling your job, controlling your singleness, controlling your marriage. It's this attempt to control your fortune in the physical world through the spiritual world as you perform specific rituals and rites to appease the bad spirits, to make sure those bad spirits aren't mad at you, and to gain the approval of good spirits. We see it all around us. It's warning us. Don't fall for these. Don't, don't say, hey, I'm following Christ, but I kind of want to see how my day is going to go. So let me read my horoscope based on my, my sign. Right? It's the fact that we just had Friday the 13th. Was that day bad? Was it 
unlucky? My doctor thought so. Not for me, thankfully, but like, oh no, it's going to be one of those days because this number fell on this day. We have it everywhere. Oh, what if a black cat crosses in front of us or don't walk under a ladder or knock on wood? So that something we say that we do or don't want to happen happens. Do you know where that came from? It's the belief that good spirits lived in trees. And we want to awaken those good spirits to bring us good fortune. Little traditions, just things we do and we're not even thinking about. But really, does that help? Is God impressed? We attempt to control our physical world by appeasing the spiritual world. And that can be in all different ways that that can happen today. But here's the thing. Some of us, we're thinking that and we're like, that's crazy. Who would do that? Though some have dedicated their life to this. But let me give you another definition. A definition of religious legalism. I define it as this. Religious legalism and traditions is an attempt to control the physical world through the spiritual world by performing specific rituals and rites, by appeasing and seeking the approval of God. It's a very close definition, isn't it? But let me ask you this. Is it any different? Because sometimes I think the greatest danger for the Christian is not just what lay outside the church, but what has grown up inside the church. Through traditions that we begin to worship more than God himself. This feeling that, oh, well, if I pray, what is meant to be communicating with God, if I pray, then then God will be happy with me and, and he'll give me good fortune. Oh, I want to hear the voice of God, but rather than just reading his word and saying, I want to know you, I want to be captivated by you, you're like, Lord, I've, I've done my devotions every morning. Why did this bad thing happen? Aren't you happy with me? Are you mad at me? Have I done enough? And we try to control God to appease his anger or seek his approval. We perform religiosity in order to gain his approval. And I would suggest that is the exact same thing as paganism. It is no different. It is the other side of the same coin. We can treat religion as this moral list of do's and don'ts, cold and deadly principles to be adhered to by mere human efforts. And then we say, God, is it enough? Have I performed well enough? Have I done enough things? Are you happy with me now? Are, are you still mad at me for, for what I said the other day, how I lost my temper? Are you still mad at me for that, that sin that I created in the past? Like, how do I appease that God? Because I want good fortune in my life today. And so we treat our relationship with God like a pagan. It's a narrow path that walks with Christ. This is why Paul said, I'm thankful. Of walking, I'm I'm thankful that you are walking with intentionality, that you are 
well-ordered. I'm thankful that you are enduring as you have received Christ. Walk in him. See, we received Christ freely, without merit, without performance. We received Christ. Now continue to walk in him in the same way. Now, here's the thing. What it's calling us to in verse 8. I love verse 8. Be careful. We've been through this part. No one, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on elements of this world. We've talked about that. But let's take out that middle part. And do you see that comma there? Be careful no one takes you captive rather than Christ. Be captivated by Christ is what I'm hearing. Be taken. Stand in awe at the fullness of God. Be filled by him. Be made new in him, forgiven through him, at peace in him. Be captivated by Christ as we walk with him. As you have received Christ, walk with him. Be captivated by him. So in awe, so in reverence that as these voices are shouting out, hey, follow this tradition. Hey, you can appease God by performing this little rite or ritual. But your eyes are so captivated by who Christ is. None of it matters. Our ears fall deaf toward it because we're walking in him and in the freedom that we have received salvation we walk in the same freedom this is the desire here's the amazing thing verses 9 through 15 are this these verses that are declaring why we should be captivated by christ they are this picture. They're the kind of passages that like, as a pastor, that are so much fun to preach, right? Because it's like getting to declare these truths. But here's my concern. Sometimes I wonder like, how, how do I communicate these beautiful truths? Because I want you to not just hear them, but feel them. To, to, to have it setting deep in your soul. And so I'm going to flip the script this morning. And I'm going to have you preach to me. Okay? This is what we're going to try. I'm a little nervous to try this, but we're going to do it. Here's what we're going to do. I've turned these verses into a responsive reading. I'm going to be the voice in your head. The doubt. The, the questions. And I'm going to have these verses or a summary of these verses up on the screen. And I want you to not just read them in a monotone voice, please. My heart doesn't need monotone. I don't want it to just be like a drone of monks in a monastery. I want you to preach it. I don't care if it sounds like chaos. Like, I want you to declare it. I want you to, to feel it. Because I think what happens, of what I enjoy is like, sometimes in my own devotions, I like reading the word out loud. It's one thing to read it in my head, but but to hear your voice reverberate in your chest, to let the truth and the roots sink down into Christ. These are the truths that when doubts enter your mind, I want you to come back to and declare out loud. 
I, I want to set the, the example that, that when the lies come up and the questions come up, you turn back here and you're like, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. Here's what's true. And let your roots sink a little bit deeper into Christ. I know I'm setting a high bar. Are you with me? Okay. So I'll say the first part and then what you're going to say is up on the screen. And my voice is what I think, what I hear in my own head. Who is this Jesus? Who is he that, that I should be captivated by him? Why should I be captivated by Christ? You guys did awesome. It's the wrong slide. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> you guys did a great job. And that's my favorite one, too, that you guys got to do. No, it's not on there? What happened? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we're calling an audible, and now I am going to preach it to you. I guess God had to follow along in the text. <laughs> it was such a good idea. Okay. Uh, I did something wrong. <laughs> what? You can read it? The one part's going to be weird on the... <laughs> Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carlos knows where I'm going with this. Okay. Oh, so disappointed. Okay. So, so here's, here's the voice. Who is Christ that I should be captivated by him? Like at some point we ask that question, don't we? Like we hear about it over and over, but like, is he worthy? Is he worthy to, to, to captivate my life, to, to be what I build my foundation on, to be what I root my life on? And the truth is that the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Now walk in him. But what about when I feel empty? What about when I feel so weak that I don't know if I can take one more step? How long is this journey? How deep does the valley go? When is the next mountaintop? Will I be able to have the strength to climb it? You have been filled by him Walk in him. But what about evil spirits and superstitions? I don't understand all of that. Like, is there fear? Are there things that, that are going to trip me up? Like, what kind of opposition am I going to face in spiritual warfare? Jesus, he is the head over every ruler in authority. He is the head over every ruler and 
every authority. There is no fear. Walk in Him. But what do I have to do to be filled? When I feel weak and and when I feel tired and I don't know if I have the strength, what do I have to do? What, what, What do I have to perform to be filled by Him? How do I know if if he approves of me? How do I know if I've appeased his anger? There is no secret initiation ritual, but rather through what Jesus has already gone through for you. By his death and resurrection, he destroyed the power of sin. Walk in him. He has destroyed the power of sin. But... And my, and my list of sins. I know that, that, that okay, he's forgiven, but maybe for some, I had someone ask me once, like, okay, I understand I've been forgiven, but, but what about the shame? Because forgiveness and shame are sometimes different. Like, I've been forgiven, but I carry so much shame. Like, How? How is it like after following Christ, after proclaiming his name, did I lose my temper? Did did I look at that? Did I do that? And it comes back, I got to pay this back. I got to pay God back because shame. And here's the part you got to read. Jesus erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Walk in him. Do you see the beauty of this passage? Because every day, like you go to the mailbox, you open your inbox and what happens? You, You find a bill, right? And it's like, oh, remember that doctor appointment from six months ago? You owe $2,000, payable now, right? And we get these all the time, you owe, you owe. And we feel that when it comes to the spiritual world. We see our sin, we see the obligations, we see what stands opposed to us. You owe, you owe. And that's where shame comes in. And it's saying, you see this certificate of debt? You see this that stands against you? All these things, all its obligations, all that stands opposed to you, it has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. It has been paid in full. None of it stands against. Not only are you forgiven, the shame was taken away. What you owe has been taken away. This is the freedom we stand in. And this is why I was hoping like, to be able to read this. So when those lies come up, when you're reminded of those past sins, when you're told who, who you are because of those sins and shame wants to weigh you down, come back and be like, the certificate of that debt is gone. It was paid for by Christ. It no longer stands against me. I am free to walk in Christ. But what if I trip? What if I fall? What what, what if I say I believe and I celebrate this, but then tomorrow someone cuts me off and an an expletive comes out of my mouth and it's like, there I go again. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He disgraced them publicly. Disgraced them publicly because Jesus triumphed over them. 
Jesus is triumphant. It's in him that we walk. And he is triumphant. These are God's word. These are truths of why we should be captivated by him. Why would we listen to anything else? Why would we follow any other path? Just as you have received Christ, walk in him freely with mercy and with grace in freedom we walk and follow Christ so three questions in closing I think the most obvious question is have you received Christ are you walking the path that he has paved and saying follow me have you stepped off the throne of your own life to bow at the feet of Christ Jesus who claimed to be the eternal God clothed in humanity entering into the world to live a perfect life that each and every one of us failed to live so that when he died on the cross the the obligation the certificate of debt from our sin that required death was put onto Christ and we have been crucified with Christ So that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? To say, I believe in my heart he is who he says he is. I confess with my mouth that this is true. And I step off the throne of my life to build my life upon Christ. And to walk in him. Why wait? What is holding you back from today? There's no magical prayer. There's no magical ritual to say, of magic words that say us. It is a confession of our mouth and a surrender of our hearts. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. The second question, are you walking in Jesus? Continue to walk in him. Are you allowing the roots of your life to sink deep into the soil of Christ? Or are you confessing Christ and then building the foundation on your life on something else? Are you trying to manipulate God? Or are you surrendered to him? What does it look like then to walk in him? To let gratitude be the reflection of our heart because he paid it all. Because he took the certificate of our debt. Are you captivated, final question, by anything other than Christ? Don't be taken captive by anything. Don't be taken captive by tradition. Don't be taken captive by elements of this world. Don't be taken captive by human philosophy. Don't be taken captive by church tradition. Be captivated by Christ. What is distracting you? What is holding you back? What are you building your life on other than Christ? My prayer this morning is that we would abandon everything else. To say, give me Christ. And let my heart be satisfied and rejoice in him because there is nothing greater than Christ. Let's pray.